Ab Yahweh, the opportunity to share yet again, I, I appreciate that you take me into your truth, your knowledge and wisdom, and the opportunity to share that with others. Any that would hear the words and listen to what's being said and return to your word, Father God, the Holy Bible, our guidebook, our roadmap, our instruction guide through this walk of light. There are many that will not agree that that's what it is. But Father, you have given us clear instructions and you've also explained as to why you give them. Thank you, Father, for this. Thank you, Father, for being such a good guide to us and thank you for direction. It's a, so many things, all in one that you bring together to us, Father. aman, Yeshua aman, paraklitos aman. So I was going to go to this um, something I, I had shared with you before that I wanted to be um, sharing these women and and uh, the name I gave you the name of many and and just kind of touch a little bit, but then I got to thinking that if I went into this, I was going to uh, fearfully go off into a. Um, onto a political diatribe, and I didn't want to do that. It's not what this is about. God doesn't take sides to anything. We shouldn't take sides. We should just choose what is righteous. Um, I started really thinking about it, that, uh, you know, Deborah is called a patriotic woman. I looked up the, the true definition of patriot and the things that are being said and done and acted upon are not that way and that there are actually many in the <laughs> elected officials that don't even know what it means. So rather than getting into that and going off into the politics, I didn't want to do that. I want to stay true to what I'm supposed to be doing and that's sharing the word. And remember that Paul tells us, he told Timothy, I believe it's in First Timothy, I'm going to go, I didn't mark it, I didn't, I didn't, he wasn't even going to go this way. The Holy Spirit's just we're off and running, so hang on, and, and if your feet are dangling on that and you're flapping in the breeze, just hold on tight. It'll be okay. Um, it will. It'll be okay. So I wanted to go to that that Paul gives his protege and is sharing with him, and that we are supposed to be Um, stand by with me, please. Ah, goodness gracious, I can't remember where it is, but I will find it. Uh, ah. I apologize, I apologize, I apologize. Uh, goodness gracious. Well, I do apologize for that. Um, evidently, I was incorrect. I couldn't remember. That happens sometimes. Forgive me. I'm of that age where things just tend to fall out sometimes. So, at any rate, I'm going to remind you, as he reminded us there, 
that we are to pray for the leaders and elders and those that are in charge. It doesn't mean that they're perfect and that we... And here's where you have to be cautious. Ah, here we go. I was correct. I did remember correctly. Uh, take, don't take or discredit my thoughts. So we're in First Timothy, and we're in First um, Timothy two. One through three. One through four. And this is what's important, is that God doesn't take a side. And Joshua, in going into the Valley of Jericho, was confronted, not in combat, or it was simply a man in the valley whose sword was drawn, possibly in preparation. Don't know. But what turns out is they didn't enter into combat. Why was that? That's because Joshua, rather than charging him and becoming involved in combat, good that he didn't because he would have been utterly destroyed, um, he decided to ask the man a question. And that question is very important. Are you on our side or on the side of our adversary, being that they were getting ready to march into the Valley of Jericho. And we should know if you read the Bible, and if you don't, and there's a story there of itself. And that the prostitute in the city of Jericho named Rahab, she hid the spies that Joshua sent into the city. She hid them, protected them, and she confessed to them that they were afraid of Israel because of their God. And they were afraid of them because they knew that God was coming with them. And they knew that they would be utterly destroyed. She didn't want to be destroyed. She wanted to go with them and be with their people. She wanted to know this God. She wanted to learn of this God. And she believed in this God. And she believed in it because of the utter fear that she saw. They had not encountered God. They hadn't encountered the nation of Israel. But they had heard enough that it frightened the people and it frightened her. Now, that's a little bit more, I think, than auspicious fear, but fear that had a good outcome. So, anyway, on the way into the Valley of Jericho, Joshua encountered this man who had a sword drawn. And in asking the man, he said, Are you for us or for our enemies? And the stranger, whom he did not recognize because he'd never met him before, his response was very simple. And he said, nay. 
pause judiciously. Then he said the captain of the hosts of heaven does not choose a side. Joshua recognized who this person was and he removed his shoes because he knew that he was on holy ground. That means that he was speaking to the Lord. Let me share something with you here, okay? You can take it whichever way you want, but I know that I'm speaking the truth. When angels come and they come as messengers from God, they bring holy word, but they are never telling those of us on this plane of existence to bow down to them and remove their feet because they're on holy ground. That doesn't apply to them. They are messengers. They come from God, but they are not God. They are not our Lord. They are not sovereign. And that does not make the ground that they tread on holy. Rather, in truth, we see that there were several times where the individuals came when they appeared to them and they tried to bow down to them and the angels rebuked them gently and said, stand up. You bow to God only. You bow down to the Lord only. But this man told him that you, the captain of the host of heaven, does not choose sides. Only the side of righteousness. Joshua knew that he was facing the Lord. Pardon me. But here's, I share that because I share this, and this kind of tied in with Deborah, and I'm not going to get into that. Perhaps at a later time. But what is as important is that you don't take a side, and, and when all this stuff was going on with Biden and Trump and blah, 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 and people were taking sides, and Biden is the greatest thing since the invention of the napkin, and Trump's the greatest thing since the invention of the napkin. Oh, I hate him, I hate him. No, I hate that one. And yada, yada, yada. On we go. And lo and behold, we're all still in negative numbers. We're still pointing at each other. We're still blaming one another. We're still in the derisive nature of this country. That I served for 10 years. I went, gone through a lot of things. I've been through a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things and things that I haven't shared with anybody and uh, my children don't know. My son's mother doesn't know. I've had people die in my arms. It's a hard thing, but I don't choose sides. I served, I did this thing and God walks with me God talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. He holds me up. He lifts me up. He knows that I'm scarred. He knows I'm battered. He knows I'm wounded. And he knows that I am not perfect. But you know what he does know? He knows he loves me. He knows he has faith in me. And he knows that I am his child forever. I am. He knows that I am redeemed because he came and he redeemed me. He came and he died for me. And he knows that I belong to him. 
He also knows that I will fight and that I just don't give up and let the devil take me and take what's here without a fight. I put up a fight. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it isn't the best fight, but I fight. And he might win one round, two rounds, but here I come. Ready to go again. It's like I've had a halftime reprieve. Starting to get excited here. But here's the important part. As Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, he writes him in this, we find this in chapter 2 in verse 1. And this is really important. That we don't take a political side, we stand up for what is righteous and what is good and what is holy and not for a side. You don't, and, and here's what's important. You don't necessarily, if they're wicked and they're bad, you don't pray for a blessing on them because that's, basically that's asking God to turn a blind eye and condone what they do, the wickedness that they do. However, you can still pray for them. Doesn't mean you're asking them to be blessed. You're asking for them to repent. You're asking for them to be healed. That's okay. But you're not asking, you're not praying to be blessed. There's, there's individuals that get a, a very, they get a misconception of this. When you pray for somebody, you're not necessarily praying for a blessing. You're hoping that they will be blessed in whatever takes place. And if God heals them, if they repent, then they will be blessed because their whole heart is changing everything that they feel from that point on and that they do from that point on. And they become true believers and a true Christian and not just a label head or a self-proclaimed Christian, but a true believer and a true Christian, then they will be blessed. And they will be blessed because they walk with the guidance of the Holy Spirit every day. So that being said, I say this, Timothy uh, receives a letter from Paul. It's his first letter from Paul. And it's a, not a real long letter, it's, it's fairly lengthy. It's fairly lengthy, longer than most people would write in a letter, I think. So in the second chapter, verse one, Paul tells him, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions. So um, we're talking about several different ways there. And a supplication is, it's a humble prayer or a petition or just a different way of asking. It's called, in, you're entreating uh, God, you're, you're asking. You're coming before God. And this, remember what I tell you all the time is that you... Um, you always come before God humbly. So supplication is that you're, you're in humble. A humble mode, humble state. You're not coming in and arrogantly and boldly and saying, hey God, you this and this. No. You come to the gates with thanksgiving and adoration, first of all. And then when the gates are open, then you come in with praise for God that he's taking time to be with you, which he will always do anyway. And then, of course, 
I've shared this with you before, I believe already. Um, so through supplications and the prayers and the intercession is you are interceding on another's behalf. So when you come before God humbly, And you're praying to him and asking him on others' behalf. So these other individuals would be these egregiously acting individuals that, and this is nothing new, okay? This is nothing new. I'm going to finish this notation that Paul sent to Timothy in the first letter, and you'll understand, you'll see what I'm saying. Again, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Okay, don't get your knickers in twist, ladies, because that's a cultural thing. This is a King James Version Bible. Men and women, culturally then, they just said that a lot. Whenever you hear that, just think that you're included, please. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and honesty. We know that that's not true of what is happening now. And even in Jesus' time, we see that that was not happening. We saw what Herod did to Jesus's earthly cousin, John the baptizer, you see what Herod did to him. And then you see that Herod was this lascivious, nasty, vile creature that was sitting on the throne. And what happened to him? He, he beheaded John the baptizer for his, gosh, I don't even know what she would be to him now. If you try to follow everything that was going on with their crooked court, and his stepdaughter sister, daughter, something. Anyway, so he beheaded John the baptizer and then the girl in turn gave the head to her mother, which he really wanted it anyway. At any rate, all this crooked stuff that we think is going on in our government now, it's not new. It's nothing new. If you read anything at all, if you've ever read history books and you go into uh, Greek and Roman history, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And there's a very famous saying that comes from Caesar, said this to Brutus. And it's uh, actually something that's repeated down through time. And it's been used in a political theater. It's been used for a lot of things. And But et tu, Brute, it's Latin and it means and you, also Brutus, which means that when the Senate betrayed Caesar, turned their back on him, and they plotted his assassination, and then Brutus stabbed him. And he declared that to Brutus. Et tu, Brute, and you, Brutus. And Brutus was his friend. They were friends or said to be, but they, I think, truthfully, they feared Caesar. 
And the letter from Caesar to his, I think it was his nephew or his grandson, I can't remember now, but he sent a letter to that and I quoted that one time and I actually was investigated for that statement because I, I had made it, I sent it in an, by an email to an acquaintance of, well, more than acquaintance, actually a friend of mine in regards to someone who was running for office and to the Oval Office, and I didn't agree with this person because, and I still do believe that they were liars, deceivers, dishonest, and I believe this, and would I do, I honestly do. So I made a comment. It wasn't any a threatening comment or anything. It was a, it was a recitation that Caesar had written to his grandson, and he told him. He said, "Beware of the." Beware the drums of patriotism. Or, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get it all messed up now because I can't remember. It's been a long time ago. Be wary of he who beats the drums and the name of patriotism. Be wary of he who beats those drums. Be wary, and it goes on and on. It says be careful because it could be a treacherous downfall and that you're going to believe everything that they tell you and you're going to do everything that you tell them because they declare it's patriotism. But the problem was that, and, and Caesar said this, he said, I know wherefrom I speak, for I have done this very thing. So he was beating the drums of war in the name of patriotism. That's what it was. I beat the name, of, beware of you, beats the drums of war in the name of patriotism. So he was trying to convince the Roman Empire to pay all this stuff to feed the Roman Empire, which at that time was the mightiest army and the empiric army in the world. And so the senators got upset because they were told that they were going to have to give up their wealth and their fat cat living style to support the government and the army. And they didn't want to do that. Kind of like what governments do a lot now. They don't want to support. They don't want to pair the first share. They want to take, 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 and then declare that we're all in this thing together. Well, that's not true because they don't. So it, this is not a new thing. But here's what Paul tells us to do. As a Christian, a true believer, and a faithful follower of the Lord God and Jesus Christ who came and died for all men, that all would have an opportunity to be saved and redeemed and to be a child, an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. All would have the opportunity. And we do not have the authority to judge on who we share that word with and who we decide to share it with and who we do and don't. That's not up to us. What is up to us is that we do as I do here daily, nightly, and sometimes two and three times a day. I've been doing this for years. And this is not an attaboy pat on the back for me. This is God's platform. These are God's words. This is God's message to everyone that we all have an opportunity to be saved, redeemed, repent, and be a child of the King forever, an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven. So again, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
and women. For our kings and for all that are in authority, and this is Bible speak for presidents, vice presidents, governors, mayors, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. That's what we desire. That's what we would like to see happen. So we pray for them so that they could possibility repent and say, you know what? I messed up. I was wrong. This is what we have to do. Let's fix this. Of course, we always, we know generally what happens to those individuals that do that sort of thing. And it's not good. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, our sovereign Lord, the creator of all things, Abba Yahweh, the maker of all things made. This is good and acceptable to him that we pray for them. We know that they are egregious in behavior. We, we know. I mean, the evidence is plain and simple. It's like the, what do they say? The evidence is plain as nose in your face. But some people can't see that. And then there are others that can't see the forest for the trees. What does that mean? Well, that means that they're too close to the situation. Can't see the forest for the tree. Why? Because you got your nose against the bark and you can't see the forest. The tree is blocking your eyesight because it writes, that means in the middle of the muck. That's generally what that means. In the middle of the muck, you're involved in it. You're in, you're so close. You see, you know what's going on. But here's the thing. Further, verse four. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Therein is that word again, truth. That pops up all over the Bible. I say it all the time. I share the truth and nothing but the truth shall help me Paracletos, my Lord God in heaven, that everything. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now that if I was not truth-telling, I would not be allowed to be doing this. It wouldn't function, it wouldn't work. And when I get caught up in doing or saying that is not the direction that the Holy Spirit has guided me to, and I decide to go off on my own, well, that doesn't work out so well. Because... Pardon me while I check on the technical difficulties. It's happened more than once. So I'm really guarded about how I speak and that when I do, it is in his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom. It's not mine. Brothers and sisters, I share with you the truth. If you have questions to that, look for the answer. The place that you find it is in God's Bible our guidebook, our roadmap, and yes, our instruction manual. And I'm going to reemphasize that a few times because there are those that come up against that, and I'm not trying to be a controversial guy, but there are a number of places that I go to, especially in the New Testament of the Bible, where we are told, I mean, we are right flat out told to do something which 
sounds very much instruction to me. And just so you have a thought process, here's what God tells us. And this is, we can find this in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. And we find this over here. And I'm going to start in verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he, said, he had said before. So this is the Holy Spirit is repeating this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Interesting. Now, I don't know what anybody else will get from that or what I'm saying, but what is a law? What is a law? Well, let me share this with you because I've been in kind of different areas and beings. A law is an instruction. For general purposes, people don't know and understand things. Here's one for you, just as a pure example, that the speed limit within a school zone while children are present is 20 miles an hour. Period. So sometimes you'll see a sign and you'll see people that are driving by there and you have a yellow flashing light and the sign says that during the hours of such and such and such and such, the speed limit is such and such. And during the next time, and that's later in the day. And they even have streets that they change into one-way directions. I used to have to contend that when I was dealing with mass transit. And those laws, and you can get cited if you don't obey them. Laws are instructions. They tell you something that you must do in a specific way, in a specific place, and at a specific time. And here's a generality, and it's a gentle instruction. But here's one in Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Brothers and sisters, we are being told to take care of people. We might not know them, but we're to care for them anyway. We're told to do that in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, that's an instruction. That's not the only place. 
when we go back and we find the scripture regarding the armor of God, that also is an instruction. And we are told to do certain things in a certain way. But yet, we are also told why. Here is another example of an instruction and another rebuke for those that declare that it is not an instruction manual or an instruction guidebook. In Ephesians, we find in chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's an instruction, period. Put on the whole armor of God. But it doesn't end there because we are told why. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What does that mean? What are the wiles of the devil? Well, the wiles are the many various ways that he might come at you. Us. Sneaky ways. It's his, a trick or his strategy to trap or entice us. His beguiling behavior. Remember what I shared with you, guile? Children are born without guile. There are many people that say that children are born into sin. That's a lie. It's not truth. And it's not real knowledge. They say that because they come here to earth. Children are born without guile. Why would God create something and send it here and it's full of sin? Uh, that's not what that is. It's, it, these are choices that are made. Children are born without guile, but they learn by older siblings, other older children, or even adults, and sadly, by their parents. that we will be able to stand against the deceitful, cunning trickery, the lures that are set. So we put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against those things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we're told to do it. We're told why we put it on. And further enhancement to why, so that we have further explanation for those that are doubting and for those that want to declare that it's not an instruction manual. This is for your benefit. Do you know how to put on armor? Do you know why you put on armor? Do you know how it goes on? Do you know what it does? No, you don't. I, I'm very certain that you, I'm, I'm reasonably certain that you don't. This is for the naysayers. So further instruction before we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. What does that mean? Principalities. Principalities. Those are... Mm, other worldly... 
So the principalities would be those that were cast out of heaven. Those that are the demons that are with Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, put on the whole armor of God. That's an instruction. But now I'm going to expound on that, and I'm going to tell you why you put that on. Now, you can go on your own, and you can go without it, but it would be much better off that you put it on. And here's why. And then there is expounding on that. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. That means you fight. You stand up boldly, courageously, and you rebuke those that come against the Lord and against you. Stand therefore having your loins skirt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So, you're bound with truth. You speak the truth. And the truth is, as I've shared with you before, there's two Greek words, there's two different ones. You have the logos and rema. Logos being the collective word of God and rema being the specific word of God. It's also used to indicate an armory and a sword. And the truth is the word of God. So you're girt about the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking on the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and, here's that word again, and supplications in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. There's that word again, saints. That means all the members of the body, true believers. That's what we do. That's why we have on the armor. Well, what is that an indicator of? That's an indicator that we do actually. We might be not in what some people will consider a warfare type battle, saying, but you're there to stand and protect your brothers and sisters in prayer, supplication. Remember, I, I shared that with you, and I just shared it too in First Timothy. Two, prayer and supplications. Those are entreaty. We entreat God to do that. But this is having to do with that thing that, that my 
my pastor shares often, and I want to be, and I've, I've told God this, and I, I mean it, that we are, and the Bible actually states this, that God looks for a man to stand in the gap, and he has not found one yet. Not that it is satisfactory, because there are so many that say they do or they will, but they don't. That's unfortunate. I want to be in that number. I want to be proven. I want to be more than just counted. I want to be counted on. And I keep offering that. I believe. So those that declare that this is not an instruction manual... I'm sorry, but I've just found six, eight verses. I think I can't, lost count. Eight verses. And this is just in four books of the Bible that are instructional in nature. Not only instructional, but they also explain why we would do this. God instructs, and then he tells us why. Why does God do that? Because God loves us. He's our Heavenly Father, and he does not want us to go into something unawares. This is why I, when I share, and I have individuals that will be wanking about the fact that I talk about the devil, and they, they do, I, I'm surprised. So as I'm going to share with you again, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not harping on it. But the devil is real, and Jesus told us and advised us that he is real and that um, Jesus compared him to a lion. He compared him to a, uh, compared him to wolves. Peter's compared him to the, to young lions in the bush. Um, they've been compared to Creatures, ravening, vicious, killing, coming in to separate and kill the flock. Rob still kill and destroy. And the Lord talks about it. Doesn't harp on him. I don't think I do either. But I'm going to continually remind you of an enemy that is real. And I'm not going to pretend that he's not real when in fact he is. And keeping you aware, not glorifying the devil by any means at all because he is not worthy of glory. I don't even, when I write anything about him, I don't even capitalize. He doesn't deserve an honorific of that and that status. He despicable, liar from the beginning. And I've shared with you before that all through the Old Testament, he's simply called the accuser. Not until in First Chronicles two seven seven two. In the earlier part of First Chronicles, he's fondly called Satan. He's identified, but prior to that, he's called the accuser, and that's what Satan does. And this is something that God will not do, doesn't do, never will do. God does not stand up above and look down at you. And when you've done something wrong. When you've fallen and 
you've corrupted yourself by falling into that miry muck of complaint, regret, derision, accusation, things that we tend to do down here on this plane of existence. He's not going to stand up above there with his hands on his hip and look down at you with a stern look with that long flowing beard and hair and his robe off the off the throne and he's not going to point his finger at you and you hear the voice of many waters and the loud thunderings and trumpets declaring that you are despicable and you should know better he doesn't do that because that's what the accuser does god doesn't do that instead what god does our lord does my good father does He takes you, he reaches down, and he says, let me give you a hand up, my child. You fell down in that muck again, didn't you? And you can't look up at him, you can't look into his eyes because you feel so ashamed. But then you feel his hand on the bottom of your chin, and he's pushing up on your chin so that you lift your eyes up and you look into his full and wonderful face. And you see him smile at you. And as one of my brothers in my class was sharing about a vision that he had, might have been a dream or he might have had it when he was slumbering, it wasn't specific. But it was a beautiful thing that he felt so much shame that he couldn't present his heart to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He said, here, take mine. And this is what our Lord does. He'll pull you up out of that muck. And then when you can't look at him in shame, and then he gets you to lift your head up and look at him and he smiles at you and he's loving on you. And he says, here, take my heart. Let me take your, and I'll, I'll clean it up and it'll be okay. He forgives and he loves. That is the God that I know. So brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, my going out, my coming in. And I just had the absolute driving intention that I needed to share with you again. Be blessed.